Welcome everybody to the Click Podcast. This is your show for daily DAO insights and deep dives. The DAO space is kind of hard to uh, traverse on your own. So with this space, you can now get insights from some of the most influential DAO operators in this space who kind of worked uh, to ensure the DAO revolution. Uh, I am Abhishek Ajit and along with me is my co-host Abhishek Sanavne. Hi Abhishek, how are you doing? Hey Abhishek, I'm doing well. Uh, thank you for uh, having me over. Oh, fantastic, man. This is going to be a, a, a podcast that I'm really excited for because uh, with us, we have someone uh, who has been part of some key initiatives that I've been personally uh, really intrigued about. And uh, he's uh, kind of come up with a new uh, DAO that focuses on ensuring a new model of public goods funding for uh, all key initiatives, be it the art world and everything. And I might also add one of the most eccentric and actually uh, personally, you know, uh, a, an open YouTube that I've come across. I've not come across a very personally revealing and an eccentric collection of YouTube videos like the one he has. So I would like to introduce uh, Rene on the show. Rene Pinel is a co-founder of Artisan Fund and he was uh, previously the co-founder of uh, Free Ross DAO as well as uh, Kaleidoscope. Hi Rene, how are you doing? Glad to have you on the I'm show. Doing good. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, fantastic, man. Um, it's been, it's been, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, while kind of reading upon you, I enjoy the the passionate approach with which you wanted to take uh, funding for the art world and uh, the sort of story that's kind of inspired you to do that. The sort of work with which you brought um, the story of Ross Ulbricht to the uh, world itself and I think that was fascinating but let's not talk about that right now I mean we want to get into the artisan side of things but for people who want to kind of get into the uh, aspects of what inspired you to get into um, building this uh, form of public's uh, good model for um, you know the art or the cultural world could tell us the values your experiences that led to that yeah so for me, I've spent most of my life helping creative people raise money. Uh, I came from, or come from, uh, a family of artists going back five generations. Growing up, everybody in my family was a creator of one kind or another, whether they were painters or dancers or musicians or filmmakers. Um, and I got to see firsthand the uh, joy that uh, art and creativity can bring into the world. Uh, but I also saw how financially difficult it is to be a creative person, to be an artist. Um, and so that was a, uh, a deep-seated belief uh, that I had growing up and when I became you know, a professional that uh, that was just not fair. Like creative people brought so much value into the world um, and they didn't capture that value. Um, and as a consequence, they really you know, struggle financially. Uh, and so for me, uh, you know, I went to school for film first, uh, did that for over a decade, and I naturally gravitated toward uh, helping my filmmaker friends raise money. And we, uh, uh, you know, raised capital for TV shows and films. And uh, I realized that the current way, uh, at least in the entertainment industry, that projects were funded was really painful, super slow. It would take years often to raise the money required to go make a movie. Uh, just, just painful. And the further I got along in my career, the more I realized that it doesn't get any easier. You know, I, I worked with uh, major uh, artists like Kate uh, Blanchett, Wu-Tang Clan, uh, legendary filmmaker Terrence Malick, Darren Aronofsky, an amazing filmmaker uh, behind Black Swan and... Uh, the Wrestler and uh, Pi and many other films. And it's always hard. It's always hard for these, even these established artists to uh, to raise money, um, especially if they're trying to do something that is unusual and original and uh, maybe a little risky. Um, so after spending a, a decade in the, the entertainment industry, uh, I decided uh, to uh, shift careers a bit. Um, I went back to school for design and I saw that um, my, you know, my belief, uh, this was like 2008, 2009, was that technology had replaced 
art and culture as the 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 dominant uh, driving force in our society. That um, that really technology was driving culture in a way that cinema and music uh, used to be. Uh, and to engage with that, I felt like I had to get involved. Um, so design was the, the the route that I took. I did some startups. Um, had one acquired, moved out to the Bay Area, was looking for my next venture. And uh, that's when VR was just bubbling up. This was like 2012, 2013, 2014. Uh, Facebook had acquired Oculus. Um, and it felt like for me, this was a really interesting opportunity to try to build something that could um, have a material uh, impact on how creators raise capital. Um, and so uh, my thesis was VR and AR, it's a new artistic medium. I believe, and I still believe that eventually it'll become the dominant uh, artistic medium for telling stories, for gaming, uh, for experiences of every kind. And my, my hypothesis was that if, you know, you could rewrite the rules of how creators raise capital in this, this new emerging market, um, that you may, might be able to take those insights and those learnings and apply them to all forms of creativity. And uh, that thesis ended up kind of being right, but uh, also kind of by accident, we, we discovered what became Artisan. So we ran Kaleidoscope, um, which is you know, that company I, I started in the VR and AR industry. We ran it essentially as an accelerator program where each year we would sign on to maybe 10 to 20 projects that would run through our accelerator program. And then we'd go raise capital for them. Uh, and these projects, uh, were typically in the 200,000 to like $2 million range. And it would take us a long time to raise capital. We would, you know, spend six to, you know, 12 to sometimes 24 months or longer raising capital. It was very much similar to what I experienced in the film industry. Um, but we wanted to do that just to understand what the funding landscape was before we uh, hopefully would stumble upon some insight that would allow us to shift things and, uh, put more power and control in the creator's hands um, and make the system of funding creative work more efficient, uh, more fair, uh, more equitable, and that the projects that, um, broadly speaking, the community was most excited about would be the ones that receive uh, the funding, which, which is very much not the case um, today. So, you know, we, we were just sort of uh, wandering in the wilderness uh, with, you know, blind faith that if we just kept at it long enough in terms of kept raising more capital, kept going through the process of, you know, helping artists package their work um, and pitching it to funding uh, entities like, you know, Facebook or Google or uh, a lot of the public funders in France and Canada, that eventually we would find something that we believed would scale and, and shift the, the power dynamic in a meaningful way. And uh, we ended up discovering it. Again, it was not clear at first that this was the discovery because we tried so many different things. But uh, in, uh, this would have been 2019, 2018, um, we looked at the creators in our community and we built about 10,000 uh, XR, VR, AR uh, creators, uh, built a community that was about that size. Um, and again, we could only sign on to help like 10 to 20 projects a year. And we're like, oh, we, we want to do something that supports uh, you know, all these other creators too, and can kind of be a top of funnel uh, for our accelerator program. And uh, so we said, well, let's do a grant. Let's, let's do monthly grants where, you know, we as a company will put in, you know, five or $10,000 each month. These will be small dollar grants, uh, but something that can have a meaningful impact for emerging talent uh, or individual artists who don't need large teams. Um, and we spun it up just using, you know, type form, uh, we didn't you know, code anything. We didn't build anything. Uh, first month, we had a couple hundred submissions and they were really high quality. And it was very exciting to see all these, you know, tremendously creative, uh, original, uh, you know, often impactful projects. Uh, but I realized that when you have all of these amazing projects, you really have an obligation to do high quality curation. You have to go through and you have to read all of them. You have to ask questions. You have to really understand uh, is this project feasible? Do I believe this creator can execute on it? Do I think that this is the most impactful project out of all of them? And it took me about a full month to go through all of those. And, uh, you know, I, I, we still had the other business to run. Uh, so I was like, okay, grants are cool. Me curating them, obviously not going to work. 
let's allow our community to do the curation. And that sort of began a, uh, an exploration that lasted about a year where my co-founder Ruben and I uh, would just hack together things. First, there were like no code solutions where we would just, you know, use Zapier to connect like Typeform to, uh, you know, uh, Google, uh, you know, suite of products to, you know, pull in all the submissions, put them in a spreadsheet, et cetera, et cetera. Then we started to build basic software um, that would allow people to vote. Uh, we experimented on so many different voting systems because we saw, oh, like, you know, we basically we run into one brick wall of like, okay, that didn't work. <laughs> that had this failure mode. Uh, let's, let's, you know, try something else. And after a year of that, by the summer of 2020, we had a system that was reliably um, selecting high quality projects that fit the eligibility requirements that we specified um, that were curated entirely by our community. Um, which again is a wicked hard problem because you think about it, there's all these different stakeholders in a community and some of them are competing with each other, like creators that have, you know, their own projects that are trying to win a particular cycle of our grant, you know, they would be in a form of competition with each other. It was often friendly competition, but, you know, they uh, cared deeply about winning the grant. How do you make sure that these different constituents feel good about the outcome? that they trust the process and the system, that they thought it was fair, even if they didn't end up winning. Uh, these are not easy design problems. Um, but again, after experimenting for about a year, we figured out what, uh, what worked, what didn't. And that coincided with another thing. We had a couple of grants go viral in the summer of 2020. We had one that was called the Black Realities Grant that supported Black artists working in VR and AR. And uh, this wonderful woman in our community named Sharifa raised her hand, said, hey, I want to create this grant. I feel like, you know, my community of Black tech artists uh, need more support than they're getting. I'd like to create a grant specifically to support them. Uh, she didn't have a big social media following or anything, but um, Viola Davis, who's uh, an amazing Academy Award winning actress, um, she had done some work in the VR and AR space. And she noticed this grant, the Black Realities Grant, after we launched it. And she said, you know what? I want to get involved. She did a couple of social media posts and uh, it went viral and started to uh, collect, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in donations. And the projects uh, were super high quality. Uh, they ended up, you know, premiering at, you know, many of the largest festivals like Tribeca, uh, Venice, Sundance. Um, and we saw that happen with a couple of grants. And we said, you know what? I actually think that this new model of community funding uh, and community curation uh, is the thing that we can use to scale up and rewrite the rules of how creative folks uh, raise capital for their projects. Um, and how did and that so translate? Been... And how did that translate into uh, you kind of figuring out that this DAO model, along with the quadratic uh, funding, would be the right approach to go. Yeah, so uh, that, that gets into, so how does, how does community curation actually work? How does the, the system, uh, how does the system function? Um, and, you know, maybe what, what are, you know, why did we decide to build this on Web3? So yeah, we, we've actually rebuilt Artisan from scratch three times. Uh, first time was just totally duct taped together with like a bits of our own code. Uh, as well as like third-party services. Then summer of 2020, we were like, this is the thing. Let's shut down Kaleidoscope because it was a bootstrapped company. Um, let's spin up a, a new company called Artisan. Let's rewrite everything from scratch, um, launch it as a standalone product. Um, and we came from the Web2 space. You know, my co-founder has 20 years experience building. Uh, and I, you know, have about 15 years experience building product and in the Web2 space. So we said, you know, even though we're really interested in Web3, let's build in Web2 and then we'll slowly migrate over. And uh, uh, so we did that. And when we were building in the Web2 space, you know, we used Stripe as our payment processor to collect donations. And then we, uh, most of our energy was spent in uh, refining our community curation engine. The basic way it worked is if you donate, you get uh, voting tokens and you use those voting tokens to, um, to vote on which projects you think ought to win. Um, but we take the square root of votes cast as opposed to uh, 
just uh, votes cast directly. Um, so it's a form of quadratic funding uh, that uh, we found to be really important. When you have a system where you have one person, one vote, which was the first one we uh, experimented with, you have something called the, you know, the tyranny of the majority, where you can have like 51% of people who have a very weak opinion about something and 49% of people who feel incredibly strong uh, about something, but the majority wins. Um, and that's not a very good system if it doesn't uh, take in the, uh, the amount of you know, passion someone has for a particular vote, uh, it's just binary. So then we went to voting with dollars, you know, voting with dollars, you know, you donate, you get, you know, you donate a thousand dollars, you get a thousand voting tokens, you can spend a thousand votes on the projects you want. Uh, the problem there is, uh, you know, not everyone can spend the same amount of money. And we had a number of grants that um, were awarded to uh, creators where there was really just one wealthy donor that unilaterally made the decision because they could outvote everyone else. Um, and that's when we actually discovered quadratic voting as uh, as a mechanism and the ideas of quadratic funding that Vitalik uh, put forward and people like uh, Kevin at Bitcoin um, have done a, a great job of uh, exploring and implementing. Um, and so the way it works in Artisan is, you know, donate $1,000, you get 1,000 voting tokens. But when you spend those, like if you want to spend all of those voting tokens on a single project, we take the square root. So that's, you know, roughly like 32 point something or other. Um, and the upshot of this is that, you know, 32 individuals contributing a single dollar each uh, have the same voting power as, you know, a single wealthy donor putting in a thousand dollars. And that's really important because it gives money a role to play. Um, and, and that's important because, it, you know, we want to suck in as much capital as possible to these grants. Um, so we want people that are highly motivated and who have, you know, the money to spend to contribute as much as possible and for them to have, you know, a louder voice but not an overwhelmingly loud voice that you know uh, normal folks without a whole lot of capital uh, can still balance uh, you know a handful of very 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 wealthy donors. Um, so, anyways, we we had uh, this Web two version of Artisan working. We launched it in uh, the spring of 2021, and then Stripe canceled our payment processing system. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, we had this. We had this great spike of growth as soon as we launched in like February and the end of February, beginning of March, uh, we had just closed our most successful grant round. Um, we had partnered with Tribeca and the wow. uh, creator who uh, won the grant for that cycle, uh, part of the reward of winning the grant was the cash, but it was also uh, getting your project to premiere at Tribeca. And uh the creators in our community valued that tremendously. So, um, you know, one of the interesting dynamics of our community curation model is that once a project makes it to the finalist stage, um, they know that they're going to get some grant funding because one of the other things that we do uh, or have done since is we do proportional funding. So if there's, you know, six finalists uh, and the top finalist gets 70% of the vote, they get 70% of the funding for that grant cycle. And the, the, the sixth, you know, lowest ranking finalist gets 5% of the vote. They get 5% of the funding. Uh, but we didn't do that when we first launched Artisan. We did a, a winner take all pot, which seemed like the naive, you know, obvious thing to do. Um, but the problem was, is that uh, especially for popular grants that people really wanted to win, you'd almost always have two or three creators who would hustle and to bring in all of their fans and all of their followers, their family to donate in order to upvote their project. And like a popularity that was super, contest. yeah, exactly. It was uh, super popular uh, or super uh, powerful for bringing in capital. Um, but when you have a winner take all pot, um, the other teams that didn't win the grant would feel pretty burned because they would bring in, you know, often thousands of dollars into the grant and then that all would go to another project. And so what happened was at the end of that grant cycle, we had the teams that didn't end up winning would call their you know, credit card company up and said, hey, I didn't actually make these charges. I need to do a chargeback. And spike. we had this spike of, of chargebacks that happened at the end of that month. And Stripe had some algorithm that you know, looked at that you know, chargeback rate. And it wasn't even that much. It was like 20 people. Um, but the dollar amount was kind of significant. Uh, and they just flat out canceled our account. And that was the moment 
A, we realized, okay, yeah, that's a valid design problem. Let's move to proportional funding grants so that when a creator pulls in their fans and their followers and their friends, they know that uh, those donations will end up going to their project. So you don't have that, uh, you know, that bad taste in your mouth and you don't feel like you're burned at the end of a grant cycle. You feel like it's fair. you got the money from the creators that came in specifically to support your project. So good learning. <laughs> But it was also a huge like eye opener for why Web3 really matters, or one of the many reasons that I think it's the right tech stack to build Artisan on. Um, and that's because your payment processor is like, you know, one of the absolute foundations of your company. And to build your, you know, product on top of, uh, you know, a tech stack that can unilaterally cancel you and, you know, uh, fuck up your business pretty royally. Uh, you know, that seems like, you know, a bad thing to do. <laughs> it seems like a really risky thing to do. So for us, we were like, okay, this is the moment. We were planning to like slowly phase into like a Web3 product. We were like, nope, we're convinced that A, these community funded and curated grants uh, are really powerful. They've got a strong viral mechanic um, and they reliably fund high quality projects. We believe in this. We think there's a real business here. And we think that we can have real impact and change the way that not only artists raise capital, but also all creative folk, scientists, designers, uh, engineers, builders, makers of all kinds. Uh, let's go raise some capital. <laughs> let's rebuild this product for a third time from scratch, but do it for the Web3 tech stack. Um, and so that's what we did. We spent all of 2021 re-architecting everything. We raised a couple million dollars. Uh, started to, uh, you know, hire out a remarkable team. We've got uh, the most talented people I've ever worked with. Um, Simon Corey, our head of product, uh, ran one of the big design divisions at Facebook for a number of years. He's the best product mind I've ever worked with. Um, and he's built out a fantastic design team. Uh, we've got a great engineering team. It's like eight really, really talented folks. It took a long time to find them. And we are just now relaunching the product in uh, a week, maybe two. That'll be the first uh, Web3 iteration of Artisan. Uh, as of October, we're relaunching grants. So starting in October, at the end of each month, uh, we will be awarding grants again to creators who play at the intersection of art, tech, science, and design. Uh, and uh, you know, we're kind of like back in it <laughs> after taking a long hiatus, licking our wounds, uh, you know, going through the very scary process of uh, raising capital in uh, economic downturn. Um, uh, it's, yeah, again, like it just feels fantastic. I kind of have to pinch myself that we've made it to where we are now, where we have cash in the bank, a fantastic team, uh, a product we believe in that has been iterated on over, you know, three years now, basically. Um, and we finally get to push it out into the world again and start to uh, deliver on our mission, which is again funding creative folks. Um, so really, really happy to to uh, have gotten to this this milestone. It's been a really long, a long journey. Depending on what time scale you look at it, it's either like a three year journey or like you know almost a ten year journey since I started Kaleidoscope, or you know like a twenty five year journey if you look at it as like you know when I first started helping creators uh, raise capital and exploring. Uh, different, better, more scalable, more efficient, uh, more effective, more fair ways to to raise money for for artists and creative people. That's a massive amount of work that you've done for uh, the art world that way. The amount of time you've kind of uh, iterated the whole grants process itself. You know, I think there's a lot of learning there for uh, the whole way the Web three and the grant processes work. You know, uh, and a lot of alpha for the listeners, by the way, you know, people who are interested in uh, getting grants from the Artisan Fund, do check them out. This is news only in the Click podcast. <laughs> 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 in that aspect, it's pretty lit. Brilliant. Uh, but uh, it begs the question, you know, I'm very happy to see that, you know, after all that effort, you've found the a team that you care about who's kind of building out this product and uh, it begs the question, you know, the payment processor was the major design problem here, uh, but you have iterated the whole grant process, and now you have a team, and you have the crypto uh, payment uh, stack to kind of build on top of. 
why do you need a DAO now? Actually, what is the as what is uh, the DAO structure bringing to a table that uh, the current form of a startup or a collective doesn't? Yeah, great question. Um, so one thing is that we want to make the process of donating to uh, you know projects, people, causes that you care about. We want to make that process as rewarding as humanly possible. We really want to rethink the donor experience. Um, in traditional grants, donors are largely excluded from the decision-making process, and they're very far removed from the work that ends up actually being funded. Uh, what donor rewards typically look like is, uh, you know, maybe a coffee mug or a T-shirt if you're a small-dollar donor. Um, if you're a big donor. Uh, maybe going to a gala dinner, uh, you know, if you're a mega donor, maybe getting your name on a building or something like that's kind of like the, the existing landscape. And it's not super uh, satisfying. Um, as a donor, you want to believe that your contribution is going to have a, a meaningful impact toward the causes you care about. Um, and you want to see that that causal linkage between my money going in, where does my money go? Uh, and how do I ensure that that money goes to uh, the projects, people, causes that matter to me? And we think that Web3 in general and uh, DAOs uh, are a great part of the solution for that. Um, and so the way that uh, we've structured uh, Artisan Fund is uh, it's a DAO. And when you donate to the Artisan Fund, that money is pooled. And at the end of each month, it's awarded to uh, creators uh, selected by uh, the community. And as a donor, what you get is uh, you get uh, some artisan tokens, which is uh, our DAO's governance token. Um, that allows you to help shape the direction of the product. It helps you shape the direction of the community. Um, so you get that kind of high level uh, control and ownership stake. Um, it also gives you a fractional ownership uh, of the work that's funded because uh, when a creator applies for a grant from the Artisan Fund, they create a project proposal that clearly outlines what their project is about, uh, what impact they hope to have in the world with it, the team behind it, basically everything you would need to understand what they're asking for money for and uh, make your mind up uh, as to whether it's something you think ought to receive funding. But they also submit an NFT artifact. And an NFT artifact is uh, similar to NFTs that your listeners will be familiar with. It's an art object, it's an image, uh, a GIF, an animation. Um, but what that art object uh, is, um, is the creator selecting uh, some early work in progress, like trying to capture the earliest moment of inspiration behind their, their project. So if, if they're applying for a science grant, um, maybe the uh, NFT artifact is simply a photograph uh, in the margins of a notebook um, for the formula that they came up with late one night at a bar. And that's the basis of this research project that they're applying for funding for. And the idea is that um, these NFT artifacts uh, will uh, be minted if they win a grant and uh, will be collectively owned by all of those artisan token holders. Most of these NFT artifacts will not be worth anything. Um, however, uh, we believe um, that some non-trivial percentage of the project, projects that receive funding will go off and have a uh, major impact in the world of art, science, culture. And those projects, you know, let's call them the top 5% maybe even just the top 1% of projects that have major uh, impact and rewrite the rules of, uh, you know, the creative medium that they're working in or uh, unearth some major scientific discovery. Uh, those projects, um, their artifacts, we believe, will appreciate in value. And so this DAO owns uh, a healthy percentage of all of these artifacts. Um, so it, it's sort of like, I think of it as like creating like a, an index fund for human creativity. And by donating to the Artisan Fund, uh, you get to not only control the Artisan Fund via our governance, but you also get to control our treasury, which has this growing collection of NFT artifacts in the work we end up funding. 
Um, so we, we again, I, this is something that felt like, a, a, you know, a DAO structure was the best, uh, um, uh, you know, corporate organizational structure we could um, could grab at. And also, you know, I, um, as you mentioned, I helped co-found the, the Free Ross DAO, which is a DAO that uh, was formed to uh, help free Ross Ulbricht, who uh, is serving a double life sentence for creating uh, the Silk Road, which is a website that allowed uh, consenting adults to engage in commerce uh, without the interference of uh, the government. And you know, the vast majority of sales on the platform uh, were weed, uh, uh, but people could sell all, all sorts of you know other drugs uh, mostly. But you know, some things that were legal as well. Um, the only restriction was that uh, nothing could be sold that would harm a third party. So you know, like no child pornography. Uh, no weapons. Um, anyways, Ross serving double life sentence for essentially creating a website uh, that colored me, uh, you know, colored my perspective on the world uh, hugely. And uh, for me, um, I could see how easy it is for um, governments uh, and institutions to step in and uh, destroy something that uh, is positive in the world. And I, I actually believe that the Silk Road uh, was a net positive. Instead of having to do like drug deals in an alley somewhere, you could do it on something that was, you know, essentially like an Amazon shopping experience where you had reviews. And uh, so it was, it was tremendously increased the safety in an activity that was already happening. But I could see how, you know, that threatened governments tremendously and they, they shut it down. So it was like that experience plus Stripe <laughs> canceling our business, like made me think like, I want to build Artisan on a tech stack and with a philosophy of how do we ensure this never dies? How do we build a structure that is uh, indestructible? And I think having a decentralized uh, community that runs the, uh, the product, that runs the protocol, that runs the platform is fundamentally a more resilient structure than uh, you know, having just you know, a CEO and a traditional corporate structure where uh, it's a much easier choke point for uh, you know the government or any other institution that wanted to come along and uh, disrupt or kill your business. Uh, impact DAOs feel highly uh, resilient in, in comparison. Creating this sort of DAO, I feel that it kind of allows a lot of things. I mean, what I love about the model that you've brought here is uh, bringing in the NFT and kind of mixing it with that sort of ownership slash governance token. It allows the donors to uh, kind of feel uh, a connect with the grants. And if you take a look at uh, so, something like a Gitcoin or something, uh, once you kind of donate the money to the grants, there's no way of building that sort of connection afterwards. The money's donated and it's gone. Then there's a lot of effort that has to be put in by those separate projects to kind of build that sort of rapport. And let's face it, all uh donors they can't end it with just one round some they require a couple of rounds to kind of get sustainable and all of that but if you lose out on that first round of uh, donors who kind of invest in your project if you don't have that sort of mechanisms in place uh, a lot of good causes just kind of get lost uh, in the sea of the next bunch of donors uh, of grantees who need that sort of funding in that regard uh, that sort of idea is pretty um it's pretty lit that way and, uh, but then it just begs the question, you know, uh, even though you have this sort of DAO framework and a Web3 stack to kind of compensate for the possibilities of a government or a Stripe kind of coming in and screwing um, any sort of legitimate cause, uh, we tend to think that what's happening in Web3 is kind of decentralized, but uh, there are a lot of uh, stories that kind of uh, point at the opposite. Like, for example, uh, there was this one story that came out. Uh, I'm not sure about the exact date, but when uh, Gitcoin had done a, a certain grant round, there was this Iranian um, uh, women's group that wanted to launch uh, a course for uh, their uh, citizens to teach them how to uh, code for blockchain and crypto related purposes. And what happened was in order to kind of uh, uh, like ensure KYC and AML related regulations, they had the entire uh, grant itself removed. 
and this is coming from gitcoin where a lot of the stewardship and how the grant application itself is kind of left to uh, uh, the public and the protocol itself uh, how would uh, what are your thoughts on ensuring that uh, this sort of uh, issues doesn't crop up when uh, you have some sort of art that is not kind of accepted by a dictator government uh, or you know uh, that sort of situation how do you prevent that from happening with the artisan fund so just so i can make sure i'm understanding the question right let me speak it back to you and you can let me know if i got it right so it uh, sounds like what you're asking about is like censorship like how yeah. can we like if if uh there was a creator who is making political art uh maybe someone like uh uh, Nadia from Pussy Riot, who I'm friends with, and she helped found the Free Rostow, but you know she obviously did two years in in jail for creating art in Russia. So how do you ensure that a platform like the Artisan Fund uh, doesn't get censored by uh, by governments uh, if we're funding projects that you know they think are uh, not? Just, I mean, I mean, not just governments because uh, you if you want to stay. Uh, kind of legitimate to some reason, you have to follow certain regulations. If you want the right stewards to come in and be part of the process also, a lot of them care about the regulations. So it's not a, I mean, even though it's a government related issue, this problem stems from stewards also who want to kind of uh, follow the rules and kind of protect themselves. Yeah. So if they may kind of pull the trigger there, but how do you kind of ensure that that sort of censorship doesn't happen within the protocol? Yeah, that's great. That's great. So it's maybe, yeah, it's, either you know risk from direct government in, in intervention or actually core community members uh concern over potential exactly. regulation pushing it um so for me i think that's probably a healthy process i mean as in general you know well, not in general like across the board we want to be as compliant uh, as we can, can um and to follow uh the rules established by you know the countries that we operate in and we you know we operate globally um so all the countries uh but we also want to give ourselves the latitude to disagree with some some aspects of those regulations or interpret them ourselves and to know that uh we are doing that from a place of security um that if there is a disagreement if there is some conflict uh, that uh, we're minimizing the surface area of, uh, you know, a regulatory attack. And uh, again, our, our goal is to be um, uh, in compliance uh, across the board. Um, and I think that having community members, you know, push for that for, you know, uh, you know, I would assume that those would be, you know, somewhat valid concerns that the community ought to hear from. Uh, I think that's 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 all healthy. I think it's really just a matter of, you know, if there's a government that is, you know, in, you know, and creating and enforcing some regulation that we think violates, uh, uh, you know, human rights, our, our fundamental freedoms, uh, uh, trying to censor uh, creative people, um, you know, those are moments where, as a community. Uh, we might choose to uh, to stand up. Um, and I think building on a tech stack that you can stand up without the fear of your business immediately getting shut off uh, gives you a lot of power. Um, it gives you a place to to make decisions from uh, that uh, you know might have some consequences, but the the consequences aren't your service, your product, your platform. Uh, immediately getting shut off, you know, that it can be resilient against that because there's, you know, there's a lot of governments around the world. Uh, some of them have uh, what I would consider to be unethical regulations and rules. And, um, uh, you know, for us, you know, we, we want to stay true to our mission, which is uh, unlocking human creativity um, and doing that by uh, radically expanding uh, funding and support for artists, scientists, uh, engineers uh, and builders and makers and creators of, of all kinds. We think that's something that everybody ought to be able to get behind. And if there's a government that's trying to censor that activity uh, in a way that we think is unethical, um, then building in Web3 gives us you know, some ability to, to push back on that. 
um, in a way that won't shut our service down immediately. I think that's fair. You know, I think these are uh, pretty gray areas that we're getting into uh, that require a nuance between the sort of regulations that um, you can kind of comply to uh, that allows for that sort of funding to go through to the right causes. But um, the Web3 community allows for that sort of leeway where uh, you can build on uh, something decentralized where you can take the right call to support uh, what is um, what is standing by human rights and what is kind of the right thing. And in that regard, um, it's fair that way. Um, one of the key issues that uh, I kind of see with a lot of the Gitcoin related grants is that um, it's something that the Gitcoin team also uh, really grapples with a lot. It, and it's changed a bit, um, is that when you have a lot of grant applications, uh, discoverability becomes somewhat biased. And Austin Griffith kind of came out with a, a code a long time back for, I think, GR14, where how grants are displayed on the platform. Uh, he kind of came out with an algo that sorted it out pretty um, effectively. Now, when you have your donors coming in as uh, as a as a governance through the token and when you have when you have the whole community being involved in that how do you ensure that there is uh, unbiased discoverability of all these grants that come in to the platform yeah it's a really really hard design problem um so uh first of all we're the, the way that we think of governance as it relates to the product is uh, governance is a, is a mechanism that is not used for day-to-day -day product feature decisions. It's made for um, uh, big, big decisions. Like we want to allocate $200,000 to go build a mobile app. And here's the team we want to hire to do it. Um, uh, we believe that to do good product development, you need to have you know uh, dedicated teams that are working full-time that have the latitude uh, to build, iterate, design uh, without needing it to be done by a committee uh, or having a vote for everyone. Um, but we understand that one of the core uh, elements of a good community curation system is to ensure that um, visibility into projects is fair. And what does that mean? So. Uh, I think it's easiest to talk about some of the experiments we ran and some of the failure modes we saw. So, you know, in one of the early iterations, it was simply a list of all of the projects that had submitted per, for a particular grant round, and it was sorted by a uh, number of votes. And so, you know, projects with the most votes would be at the top, projects with the least votes would be at the bottom. Um, obviously, the problem there is that once uh, a project, for whatever reason, would get towards the top, there would be a, a feedback loop and a bias uh, to vote it up more because nobody wanted to scroll down 100 projects deep um, to see the, the projects at the bottom. Um, so we moved towards uh, a different model where instead of uh, um, seeing a list of all the projects uh, sorted by uh, um, number of votes, we could do a list of projects sorted by which um, which submissions have been seen the least um, and to try to balance it so that you have uh, uh, an even distribution of, of eyeballs. Um, now, of course, you know, we would also wanted to allow uh, um, creators of a specific project to have a specific link to direct people to their project to upvote it because we wanted to um, allow creators to harness their, their fan base, their followers, their friends uh, to upvote their project because that's an important signal. How much support uh, does a creator have? You know, do they have a big community that is deeply uh, passionate about their work or is it a very, very nascent small community? Um, neither is bad, but there, you know, it is an important signal uh, to capture. Um, but even then, when someone goes to a specific project to vote for it, what we built was as soon as someone votes for that, uh, it's kind of like a dating app where we automatically show them another uh, project once they complete that uh, that vote. That again is like which project has been seen the least. So we're always trying to surface um, projects that 
that need more eyeballs uh, to give them a fair shot. Um, so if you if you got a you know if you're coming in with a specific thing like I want to uh, support a friends project, a specific friends project, or I want to I want to find uh, all the projects that uh, are being produced in a specific medium like film. Like we give you tools that allow you to search if you're in uh, uh, the mental headspace of looking for a particular type of uh, work or a specific individual project, like that should be easy. But then at every turn, we want to uh, be surfacing uh, projects that you don't know about that haven't gotten the same uh, attention as other work. Uh, so we think that, you know, will always be, a, a, you know, a process of figuring out how do we do a better and better job of that. Um, but at the end of the day, if you're evenly surfacing uh, projects that they all get roughly the same amount of eyeballs on them, um, we think that's the the right formula for allowing uh, the projects that the general community truly believes are, are the strongest and having those those bubble up to the top. Absolutely, I think uh, this sort of approach, you know, where uh, you kind of give a lot of uh, you kind of give a lot of preference for that sort of projects that don't have that sort of discoverability. It's kind of key here. That, uh, because with a lot of these platforms, uh, it just kind of gets lost in uh, whatever the main uh, ecosystem partners actually want to kind of provide. I'm not going to name names, but you kind of get the picture. Uh, and a lot of decent grantees kind of just get lost in that whole picture. And with that regard, and I'm kind of a fan of the sort of concepts you've brought in here. Yeah. Um, how exactly is the roadmap looking like for artisan down the road? I know you mentioned that you have the um, you have the grant process starting next month, uh, within a couple of weeks, actually, I'm sorry. Uh, how do you expect the roadmap to kind of look further down the road? And uh, how can the uh, community kind of participate in um, the what artisan funds kind of doing the pathways to contribution, I mean? Yeah, yeah. So uh, the so our grants are open right now. So if you want to apply for funding, uh, the best link to go to right now is artisan a r t i z e n dot link uh, l i n k uh, backslash uh, apply, um, and that'll take you to uh, you know the application process of uh, you know submitting a, a project proposal and an NFT artifact. Um, the product that's going to be released in one or two weeks, uh, mid-October by the latest, uh, we actually focused on the bit of the product that we hadn't in the Web2 version, which is how do we make the, um, the, the donation process uh, as you know, robust and easy and um, fun as possible, building it out on top of a crypto payment rails. So uh, uh, essentially what the product will look like is uh, you can donate via credit card, debit card, uh, uh, ETH, uh, or USDC on Polygon. And uh, eventually we'll you know, allow people to donate um, in BTC and any other uh, you know, major uh, token, maybe eventually any, any token. Uh, but our, the way our, our payment rails work is we... Uh, you know, convert that fiat or crypto, we, we bridge it over to uh, uh, USDC on Polygon. And that's where uh, all of the funds get, you know, held into a, uh, you know, it gets pooled as USDC on Polygon. And then when we award grants, it gets paid out as USDC uh, on Polygon. So we had to build that infrastructure. Um, the other thing that we had to build that will be in the product in two weeks is um, rewarding donors with art tokens. So uh, at the end of each month's uh, donations cycle uh, and, and granting cycle, uh, each donor for that cycle is awarded art tokens in quadratic proportion to the total number of, uh, or total amount of donations. So we had to build all that. Um, and then uh, we had to build uh, the uh, NFT artifact portion where at the end of a uh, granting cycle, the top donor, as well as a randomly selected donor uh, uh, are awarded one of four editions of this limited edition uh, NFT artifact that's minted by the grant winner. Um, the other two in that limited edition of four 
goes to the creator themselves. Uh, and one is held uh, by the artisan fund, which is collectively owned by all of the art token holders. Um, so we had to build all that. Um, and the final thing that uh, will be in the product, not in two weeks, but probably in like three or four weeks, is uh, a proof of contribution NFT that uh, every donor gets at any level, um, which will uh, you know, be a, a beautiful visualization uh, of you showing your support for this particular uh, grant round. Uh, and we'll have metadata associated with it in terms of like, you know, how much did you contribute in comparison to the total contributions? Where were you stacked on the leaderboard of donors? Um, and that will grant access to, uh, you know, certain member activities like uh, events or, you know, future product features. Um, so that's all going to be, you know, released and polished over the next like month or two. Um, the version we're going to release in a week or two will be pretty rough around the edges. So we'll, we'll do a couple cycles after that. Um, the community curation aspect, uh, we felt like we had iterated and learned so much in the last version of Artisan that we actually said, well, from a prioritization standpoint, let's pause on uh, building that out. And instead, let's hack it together uh, with a mixture of snapshot and discord. Um, uh, so that's going to be the next big uh, product push is integrating community curation back into the core product. Um, that will happen best case scenario end of this year, uh, worst case scenario, I would say spring of next year. Um, so sometime in the next like three to six months. And at that point, uh, the product will be um, pretty complete in terms of a feature set. Um, and it'll uh, be all focused on making this singular fund work that you know this this specific artisan fund for human creativity and the next big push is uh turning artisan into a platform where we make it easy for anyone to create their own community fund on a specific mission and cause that they care about and so for instance uh the free ross dow um you know they beyond trying to uh you know support ross and get the message out about what a wonderful human he is and how he should not be in jail for the rest of his life. Um, the other mission is to support criminal justice re reform uh, broadly. And so uh, they voted, uh, that DAO voted to integrate the Artisan Protocol as soon as it's ready to stand up uh, the Free Ross Fund for criminal justice reform. And so that's an example of another organization, another community using, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, the software that we're writing and the protocol we're building to stand up their own community fund. And that's what we think is the long-term vision is that it should be you know, trivially easy for any member of any community to create their own fund, their own community fund to support the people, projects, and causes that they care about. And so that'll be the next big phase of, of Artisan is uh, you know, making this, uh, you know, you know, right now we have like, you know, our own open, you know, it's, it's all open source, but it's, you know, it's our code is not designed to be easily replicated by somebody else it's still we're still figuring things out it's still a little amorphous so next year you know we'll uh polish up all of our smart contracts and publish it in a way that uh, you know sophisticated organizations can use it as a protocol to create their own funds and then after that it's about making a super user-friendly um uh sort of SaaS model version of artisan where anyone can create their own community fund just directly from our website without having to know anything about coding or, you know, integrating our, our collection of smart contracts. Uh, it'll just be something you can do in like five or 10 minutes, clicking a few buttons, giving a title to your fund, giving a description, uh, and you're kind of off to the races after that. So that's, that's where we're headed. Um, it'll probably take us a number of years to uh, complete that full vision, but our, uh, we think that, you know, every, every DAO just about um, ought to have their own community fund. And we already see this in, in, our, in our industry. Uh, so many DAOs and protocols uh, do grant work uh, because they want to support their ecosystem of developers and creators. Um, but right now there's like not great software to do that. And we think Artisan is building the right software to do that. Uh, and we also think that not only DAOs, but traditional nonprofits and charities, you know, most of them in one form or another are essentially granting organizations. And there is a lot of software that does exist for uh, allowing nonprofits and foundations to run grants, but they're super complicated. Um, they're very heavyweight. 
they don't do a good job of pulling in community to help the community uh, run the grant program. It's very much uh, you know a wall between community and uh, grantor. Uh, so again, we think that what we're building at Artisan will be a great fit for traditional nonprofits and foundations. Um, and finally, we actually think uh, that uh, traditional corporations should also be running these types of community funds. And a great example of this is uh, Airbnb just did a, they, they stood up the OMG fund, which was a $10 million fund that awarded uh, grants in, uh, you know, $100,000 grants to uh, uh, Airbnb hosts to go create crazy places for people to stay. Like, you know, go create a potato that guests can stay in because this is a, a, a you know part of their ecosystem that they're trying to build out, which is this category of OMG rentals. Um, and so, you know, that was something they built in, internally. Uh, we think that corporations like Airbnb will use, uh, you know, what we're building at Artisan to run their own brand specific community funds. So we see a tremendous opportunity for individuals, for DAOs, for, you know, traditional nonprofit organizations uh, and for traditional corporations to uh, use Artisan uh, as, as the, the tool and platform to, you know, create these community funds that are, you know, uh, financed, uh, you know, as a mixture between the organization and the community and curated as a you know power share balance between the organization uh, and the community. So I think uh, that's a phenomenal roadmap ahead of you. I think the sort of uh, work that you've done is just kind of translated with, uh, uh, with the sort of product that you have in mind with uh, Artisan Novaya. Uh, just on a lighter final note, actually, uh, now that you have the grants uh, going to start in two weeks, I bet you would have had a lot of applications come in uh, on a quick note, what what are I mean? I know you don't want to be biased, but still, what are some of the <laughs> uh, uh, applications that you found interesting that you would love to see kind of funded um, in this? Yeah. Cycle? Well, one of the great things about uh, community curation is that my voting power is you know roughly the same as anybody else that joins and engages with our community. So I can be biased and I can I can champion <laughs> the projects that I believe in um, without that determining the outcome. So That's for me, uh, the project I'm most excited about, and there's, there's uh, I think there's like at least six projects that um, wow. I feel like deserve to win, win the grant. Um, but the one that I'm most excited about is one called uh, Adva, and it's by a creator named Mike Tucker. Um, Mike is a remarkable artist. He uh, uh, worked with Radiohead on a, a bunch of really interesting creative code apps that would take Radiohead's music and do beautiful uh, visualizations of it that were interactive. Um, he's worked with a lot of major artists and I think he's one of the most talented and frankly underappreciated artists in the sort of digital interactive, uh, you know, immersive world. Um, and this project uh, Adva is this abstract, um, uh, choreographed synthetic fluid uh, visualization uh, set to an ever-evolving musical score. Um, so the visuals and the music um, are automatically generated based on basic uh, uh, seeds uh, uh, that I think will be provided by by the user. So some simple input from the user will sort of be the 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 generative seed that will create this uh, you know work of art. Um, and it's uh, it was made. Uh, he, he just had a daughter, and it, it was it's made as uh, this this moment of inspiration where he felt that there's so much beauty in the world, and all it takes is sort of having your eyes open. And the visualization is based on the uh, symmetry that you see in like a drop of water uh, landing in a pool, and the ripples that come out of it, and it's at a high technical level, it's at a high artistic level. Uh, and I think that kind of uh, beauty there should be more of in the world. Um, that's my personal favorite pro project. It's very much on the, you know, the art side, which is my background, but we also have projects that are, uh, you know, not art first, that, that are science and uh, first that are more like, uh, I don't know, there's that one that's called uh, RM Terra, which is all about reforestation. Um, so yeah. A lot of really cool projects uh, that span the gamut uh, between art, science, tech, uh, design, 
Uh, that just happens to be my favorite one. Adva, Mike Tucker, go check it out. And if you guys want to get involved, uh, yeah, best thing to do is uh, to join our, our Discord right now. Best link for that is uh, artisan, A-R-T-I-Z-E-N dot link backslash discord um that will take you to the the uh you know the onboarding flow for for our discord uh and that's that's the easiest way to to, to get looped in uh right now in a couple of weeks the the best way will be to go to our main website which is uh, artisan.fund f-u-n-d um that's that will become the main the main hub but right now discord is is the main hub don't slack off on that one do Contribute to whatever they're doing. I'm, uh, it's been a fantastic uh, convo, by the way, Rani. I enjoy the enthusiasm and the years of uh, endurance that you've brought to the table bring, uh, trying to shape up this whole grants process. Uh, really looking forward to uh, you know the journey of Artisan Fund. And uh, for all our listeners, thank you so much for listening. It's been a wonderful uh, experience so far. Stay tuned for the next one. This is going to be a real baller episode. And with that, uh, see you, everybody.